As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Collective Cafe To Go. This is the podcast version of the Collective Cafe. Now, the Collective Cafe happens every single weekday, Monday through Friday, from 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time in Alpha Collective's Discord server, discord.gg forward slash Alpha Collective. It is free. It always will be free. There are no strings. There is no bait and switch. If you like to listen live and even participate, come onto stage, comment in our back chat, you can do that. Whether you're on the treadmill, getting the kids ready for school, getting yourself ready for work, commuting into the big bad city, or maybe just even commuting from your bedroom into your home office. On Monday, we manifest. On Tuesday, we talk thought leadership. On Wednesday, we have guests take the stage, almost like an open mic. On Thursday, we do live book reads and discussions. And then on Friday, it's No Agenda Friday, where there is no agenda. Start your day off on the right foot, on the front foot, with virtual coffee, with the Collective Cafe, where we mastermind, we manifest, we collaborate, we help one another at the business of Web3 or anything else that intersects, whether it's culture, collaboration, creativity, innovation, disruption. So give us a subscribe if you're listening on the podcast or come and attend one day. Remember, it is a safe, welcoming space and you will never, ever be put on the spot. This is the Collective Cafe to go. Good morning, good morning, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Tim and Bez and Praxim. I am back. Uh, good morning, Jensa. I'm back, I'm back, I'm back. Although I'm not really sure I'm completely back physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. I'm rather empty, running on empty. But I made myself a large cup of coffee this morning. The only problem is that I forgot to put a cup underneath the Nespresso spout. And what uh, what ensued was nothing short of a bit of a mess. And so that's why I'm a little bit late this morning. But uh, fear not, there is a POAP. The POAP will go live uh, at 8.55, I believe, until about 9.10. And for those of you that need to leave early, I know Praxim sometimes does need to leave early, uh, let me fill you in on a little secret. The secret word is the show must go on. The show must go on. And uh, here we are going on with the show. Uh, I'm sure, no doubt, I have all of you to thank for keeping it going uh, while I was away. Uh, I was able to join a little bit, but it's actually quite hard. I've, I've struggled to find um, continuity and uh, ability to you know, manage both lives um, you know, both time zones. And um, I think that's part of like something we would discuss on Wellness Wednesday, that sometimes you, you have to let go. You have to, you know, control is actually letting go. Control is not holding on. Control, being in control, is the security that comes from being able to let go, to trusting others and realizing you can't be, you can't be everywhere all the time. Now, look, of course, you know, if uh, 8 a.m. is 1 p.m. in the U.K., so... If it is one to two and I'm available and around, then absolutely. If I'm working, no question. But if I'm out with my family or or in a cab, sometimes the best thing to do is actually just to let go. 
Um, and, and, you know, there's this thing about doing things properly or don't doing them at all. And the corollary of that, corollary, damn it, the corollary of that is do something rather than nothing, okay? So do something rather than nothing. Make an attempt. Do your best. That is different to this idea of don't be half-assed, right? Because, and, and that's, it, it's reconciled actually very, very easily if you think about it. Um, this idea that says, you know, what do we tell our kids? We, we're telling our kids that we don't need to necessarily give them a participation trophy, right? But what we are also, you know, trying to do, we're trying to teach them to be competitive, to be win, to, to win, but also to accept that it's very confusing, I think, for a kid, teaching them that winning is everything. So we give them a participation trophy and then everyone criticizes the participation trophy. But really it's all reconciled with this idea which is, I don't expect you to win. I don't expect you to be the best. I just expect you to try your best. And that's the most important thing. And so these are some of the things that I am trying to learn and deal with and, and reconcile. I mean, even today what happened was was this... Um, I'll give you two examples, actually. On the plane coming back, I spilled red wine all over my passport. And, and I kind of lost it and freaked out. Uh, you know, like, I'm not always strong. Sometimes I'm unbelievably weak as are we all, and I just really lost it. It just, it, it, it kind of, my chimp brain kicked in. I've been listening to this the amazing podcast that I think I've spoken about, the uh, diary of a CEO. So my chimp brain, you know, this isn't fair. Why is it happening to me? I fell to pieces. I mean, if I'd just taken half a moment, I was lucky I didn't stain my clothes. I didn't, you know, I didn't spill on my phone. You know, I moved seats. Everything worked out, and and quite frankly, even the passport is a little stained, but it's still operable. And if and if it wasn't, I'd just order another one. So that's an example of where I fell to pieces this morning. I didn't. This morning, I look down and I see like there's literally an entire cup of coffee that's being poured now all over the, you know, the staining, maybe staining, not staining in the end. Um, and I just had to clean it up, and I did. And I came a minute or two late, and the show must go on. The show must go on. So those of you that have just joined, poep.xyz, you go there between 8.55 and 9.10 and uh, use the secret word, the show must go on. Um, I'll spend some time talking about the trip maybe tomorrow, um, Wellness Wednesday, uh, bring some of you up. I actually thought uh, some something that I wanted to do, which we won't necessarily do today, is I was thinking, you know, what would happen Instead of like talking about growing our growing this and growing the uh, collective cafe, and by the way, we've got a beautiful group today. Um, shout out! I haven't seen A&R Block in a while, and Shadows Pub is here, and it's it's small, it's intimate, it's exactly what you would expect in a real coffee shop. You wouldn't want ten thousand people. We're seven of us at the moment, and countless. I don't know how many people are listening via the podcast at the moment, um, but I was thinking like. What would happen if someone came today? What if this was an ANA, uh, an AMA, an ANA, an AMA, and they said, Hey, Joe, I would love some advice from you, um, office hours. I've got this little virtual coffee and I'd really love to grow it. What advice would you have for me? And I was like, You know what? That's kind of interesting because I'll bet you I would have advice. So, what would that advice be? And would I follow it? So, I thought maybe one of these days we'll, we'll play around with that. We'll actually ask the question and I'll be mentoring myself. <laughs> you know, we'll all be brainstorming different ways, different things, different opportunities um, to grow the audience and grow the base um, and figure out how to implement some of these ideas. Are they incentive-based? Are they validation-based? Are they status-based? How do we give people, tr- you know, try before you buy? Is there a piece of software that we could start clipping audio? There's so much we could do. But I, I thought what we'd focus on today is this idea of uh, of getting to yes, and uh, and the sub point behind it is turning concerns into competitive advantage, or maybe I was going to call it turning concerns into coin. And you know, there's I'll give you some I'll I'll give you the the setup. There's there's good setup and context, and then I'll talk about a friend. You know, as they say, asking asking for a friend. Um, a little scenario and see what you think about it. Um, so first of all, um, Exhibit A, David Rendell, who was on my show, the giant freak in pink is his, his branding. Um, he's, you know, I think he ran 
30 marathons in 30 days or he did something extreme, something insane. Um, one of my best uh, episodes ever because um, I just really loved everything that he he spoke about. And, you know, one of his messages is this. Instead of turning the weakness into a strength, recognize the weakness is the strength. So instead of trying to change it or fix it or make it better, you actually embrace it and you almost double down on it. This is not, um, in a way, inconsistent um, with what I've been learning from this episode that I've been, that I've been telling you about. I'm just going to, it's a, a diary of a CEO with Stephen Bartlett, and this episode is called, it's episode 215, The Mindset Doctor. Uh, I'm reading it to you as it scrolls very, very slowly. The secret man behind the world's top performing athletes, oh, performers, sorry, uh, so his name is Steve Peters. I'm going to reach out to him, see if he'll come on the show. You never know. Um, Steve Peters. And he talks about, you know, the, he talks about the machine brain, the automated brain, the chimp brain, and then the human brain. And, and, and we'll discuss those um, in context um, and out of context and whatever, another time. But so what, what Dave Rendell says is he says, at school, this is the story he told. And I really identified it with it a lot because my son has um, ADHD and a lot of the same uh, same things that he spoke about. So he said, at school, they wanted to, uh, they wanted me to shut up because I, I spoke all the time and they wanted me to sit still because I was always moving around and fidgeting and they tried to, to make me sit still and to, and to keep quiet and they wanted to control me and for me to conform to their rules. He said, today, I'm a global keynote speaker and I move around on the stage all the time and I don't shut up for a second and nobody controls me because I am performing and I'm in my own stage and my own element and I do my own thing. The weakness is the strength. By actually leaning into his fidgeting and his constant talking at a mile a minute and his being uncontrollable, he was able to turn that into his competitive advantage. Instead of addressing the concerns, he actually transformed them and embraced them. And that was one of the things that I, that I was thinking about. So, you know, as they say, asking for a friend, um, recently a friend of mine was talking and is talking uh, to uh, a large organization about potentially figuring out some kind of a strategic partnership. And the feedback that came back from the large organization was, we're concerned because this individual, this particular, particular individual, is a stand, quote, stand-alone entrepreneur. And because they are a stand-alone entrepreneur, there is concern that they might not fit in with the culture. So let's let's think about that and let's you know analyze these words because this is just you know some basic top line feedback, but it's very telling. This idea, um, uh, this idea of of being a standalone entrepreneur and might not fit. And so the advice that I would give to this friend, uh, well, let's let's talk about what the advice could be. The one advice would be, absolutely, you are a standalone entrepreneur, whatever the hell that means, and you might not fit in in a corporate, in a large corporate environment, corporate structure, corporate culture, filled with politics and process and, and ingrained ways of doing so and legacy and incumbency and rigidity and control. You would wither and die in that environment. You, the rogue, independent, stand-alone entrepreneur. You, the person that is used to beating to the sound of your own drum, making the rules, breaking the rules, not following the rules. So that could be the first advice. They just did you a favor. Run a mile. Don't get into bed with them because they're right. You, you know, the... The host would reject the organ, the transplant. This is not 
compatible. So that's scenario one. Well, what's scenario two? Scenario two is the compromise. Under what conditions, good morning, Chris, under what conditions would this alliance or partnership make sense? How might the standalone entrepreneur be able to survive and even thrive in an organization? So to use the analogy, in when a foreign body is put into an organ, organism, there are anti-rejection drugs. There are things that can be done, let's call them guidelines and guardrails, that are designed to avoid rejection or ripcord or evac or, you know, um, the, it's not, it's the host rejecting the, rejecting the transplant, but it's also the transplant rejecting the host. Works two ways, of course. So there is the ability to say, under what conditions might this work? Could this work? Would it be a different type of relationship? Uh, would there be different um, terms to the relationship? You know, in, in the classic example, it might be the standalone entrepreneur being able to, you know, pursue their own side hustle or, or whatever their side hustle might be. It might be working from home and it might not be. The thing that's important in this kind of environment and this scenario is the traffic lights, red, yellow, green. What is completely negotiable, what is completely non-negotiable, and what is just, you know, somewhere in the middle. Or maybe a different way to think about it is, you could almost say green is, is not even an option. I mean, not even a problem. It's just completely okay. Red is completely not okay. And yellow, let's have a chat about it. Another way to think about it, another framework, is there are some things that are non-negotiable to the host, to the corporate. There are some things that are non-negotiable to the transplant, in this case, the standalone entrepreneur. And then there's everywhere in between. And I believe under those conditions, you know, it shouldn't be 33, 33, 33, but it's still, I think, and I'm just literally talking anecdotally and off the top of my head, I think there are some uh, scenarios where 33, 33, 33 might work. But for the most part, I think you probably are hoping to end up with like 10, 80, 10, or 15, 70, 15, or maybe at a stretch, 20, 60, 20. So each side brings in their non-negotiables. And then there's a lot of um, fertile ground for compromise, for conversation, for negotiation. And to me, that would work. So for example, um, it could be anything. It could be dress code. We're going to need you to wear a suit and tie. That might be completely, sure, no problem. You know, I was thinking I would come in naked, but sure, I'll wear a suit and tie. Uh, or, you know, it, it could be uh, absolutely not. I will never wear a tie again. Like, that is a deal breaker to me. Or, well, can I wear a tie three days a week? Or can I wear a tie on days when clients are coming in? Um, or what about a button down? What about a button down and a blazer? Would that work with uh, jeans? Oh, no, 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 jeans are not on. They've got to be cocky. So everything's a conversation even in clothing. And as I said, it could be everything and it could be nothing. It could be, yeah, totally, that's fine. Working from home is another one. So you determine what is red, what is yellow, and what is green. So there's a massive area in that second scenario. That's the how might we. They are under what conditions could this work? As opposed to the black and white, the binary. Absolutely not. My concern is... This is never going to work. Because what is a concern at the end of the day? The concern is the fear. The concern is the fear of the unknown. The concern is insecurity, a little bit of paranoia, uh, discomfort. But what if the weakness became the strength? What if actually you leaned into the fear, into the weakness, 
into the insecurity, into the unknown, into the uncertain? What if you actually double down on it? What if actually in this case, the standalone entrepreneur had the ability to infuse life or even a new life, a new lease on life, a new set of possibilities, a new myriad of options and alternatives. Not in, and and here's, here's the twist. You're not, you know, we didn't want to do this because no one was doing it. Guess what? Now we're the only people doing it. We're the first to do it. We set the bar. We raise the bar. We set new heights. We're the only ones. So from no one else is doing it and being referential, the worst thing to be in this world is referential. Look around the room. See what everyone's doing. This, is a, this came out in the podcast again that I've been referencing. It's what's, what's happening with our children. They're all clones They're all walking around, walking the same, acting the same, talking the same, doing the same. And they don't even know why. They all just want to conform and fit in. Nobody wants to stand out. Nobody wants to stick their neck out. Nobody wants to take a chance, or at least those that do win. I feel like that's my sole role as a parent, which I think I've I've failed or I'm failing which is the ability to, to just infuse this unbelievable sense of confidence in our children. Realistic confidence. You can do anything if you set your mind to it within reason. Don't try and be like everyone else. Just be yourself. Spend your whole life searching for yourself, your authentic self. Shout out to Billy. Nice to see you. That's the goal. The goal is not to turn the weakness into a strength. The goal is to recognize the weakness is the strength. The weakness is the individuality. It is the differentiation. And what you realize, as they say, every pot has a lid. Find yours. Find your soulmate. Find your profession. Find the thing that gives you purpose, that gives you passion. And it's a, it's a matrix. It's not just the industry. It's also the motivation. Money, status, power, control, or fulfillment, self-actualization, empathy, helping people. Not everyone has to fit into the same mold and the same MO. It's so critical to think about that. And so going back to the scenario, remember scenario one, Verses 2, verses 3, there's a crawl, there's a walk, there's a run. Being fearful and afraid of even touching it versus being able to say, under what conditions might this work? Right, scenario 1, run away, run a mile away. Oil and water. I mean, scenario 1 is the case against diversity, (laughs) equity, inclusion, and access. Surround yourself with people just like you that look like you, that act like you, that talk like you, that come from the same place, as opposed to bringing people with different points of view, different perspectives that can push you, challenge you, teach you, educate you. Come up with a perspective that you could never have come up with. And ultimately, who's to say they're right and you're wrong, or they're wrong and you're right? Together, you can actually triangulate and come up with a new answer. Good morning, Glenn. A new answer. The wisdom of crowds, the wisdom of employees, the wisdom of community. The two or three or four or five of you will come up with a solution that individually you could never, ever have come up with in a million years. I like the idea that I said at the beginning. Just a little shout out to the people that have arrived a little late. There is a POAP that will go live, I think, at 8.55 to 9.10 The secret word is the show must go on. So if you do need to leave early, you can still use it and take advantage of it. Uh, All lowercase, all one word for you, Bez. The show must go on. The other thing is I'd love to once a week or once every other week 
someone comes in and they say, here's a problem or challenge that I'm faced with, and we all try and solve their problem together. And the context for for those of you that have joined a bit late is, I was thinking like this idea of growing our collective cap. First of all, why do I need to grow it when when we've got nine people here live today, when I've been away for almost two weeks, when we're seeing some faces that I haven't seen in a while and some friendly faces. If we were in a real coffee shop, already we'd be too many people around the table. Uh, we wouldn't be able to all talk. We wouldn't be able to all hear each other. Um, it, you know, it's, it, it's, we've already lost that little bit of intimacy at the moment. I know I'm the only one that's talking, but I don't have to be. Anyone can come up you know, at, at any point in time. So it's like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Who said it was broken? It may not be broken. But if we are trying to fix it or make it better, then what would we do? And so part of my own challenge is, what would I mentor the person coming and saying, hey, I've got a collective cafe going. I've got a Discord. I've got a community. I've got a coin. How do I grow my audience? Well, you know, I'm sure I would have advice for them. So why wouldn't I take my own advice? If I'm so sure of myself and I could give someone advice, well, what advice would I give myself? And would I take it? And what would you all think? And what could we achieve together? So maybe we'll do that a different day. But going back to this idea of getting to, getting to yes, the concern becomes the competitive advantage. Let's go back to that third scenario for a second. You lean into it and you say, the reason why, this is, you know, again, asking for a friend, the corporate is going to figure out how to bring in the standalone entrepreneur is for the very reason that they are a standalone entrepreneur. It's going to be a little rough around the They are going to be a little bit rough around the edges. It's going to be a little bit difficult. There is going to be a bit of a culture, maybe not a clash, but there, there are two different cultures coming together. It, how is it possible that that can be completely smooth? But what if, what if, you know, as um, I think Seth Godin once said, unleashing the idea virus. Victor Hugo, there is nothing as powerful as an idea whose time has come. What if that one standalone entrepreneur was able to start bringing in different thoughts and different practices and different ideas? What if it actually caught on? What if the weakness became the strength? And what if the weakness was not the standalone entrepreneur in this case? The weakness was the corporate culture. The weakness was the incumbency, the, the legacy thinking. This is the way things have always been done. But that doesn't mean that this is the way things will always need to be done or the way that things always have been done are necessarily going to work in the future. Because things change, we change, the world is changing, we all know that, we all get that. So there has to be adaptation and there has to be evolution. This is the essence of the survival instinct, self-preservation and adaptation. The corporate that says we can't hire the standalone entrepreneur, that is a little bit of self-preservation. It is fear and pain, anticipation of the worst-case scenario, all the stuff that won't work, all the stuff that will go wrong. But the adaptation is the hunger, the passion, the ability to lean into risk and realize that risk is relative. Managed risk, mitigated risk, calculated risk. The weakness is the strength. And of course, I've left that amb amb pretty ambiguous because who is the weakness? What is the weakness? Is the weakness the standalone entrepreneur or is the weakness the corporate or corporate leadership? Or is it really not a person but more an idea, a principle, a practice, a philosophy, culture itself? Culture absolutely can be strong or weak. Culture is the ultimate driver. We all know culture eats strategy for breakfast and lunch and dinner. A strong culture will save you, will steer you to the future. A weak culture will destroy you. I think it was in one of our collective cafes the other day where 
we had that, I think it was, that great Warren Buffett quote. During tough times and challenging times, weak cultures, weak companies will fail, will die. Average, you know, or, or, or good cultures will survive. Great cultures will thrive. So the weak organizations will die. The good organizations will survive. The great ones will thrive. That's how you maintain during a recession, during recessionary times, during tough economic challenging times. But you can't just switch it on. Good morning, Slick. You can't just, you know, have a, uh, uh, in case of emergency, break glass. It's too late if you have an evac or a, you know, a, uh, uh, an emergency situation. You've got to be ready for it. You've got to be prepared. You've got to have expected the unexpected. That's when we see the difference between someone who's just hanging on and surviving or someone that can actually leap to the front of the class. That can leave everyone behind. This is the concept of the peloton, of the chasing pack. Who's going to make the move first? Who's going to time their move perfectly? Who's going to have reserved and preserved their energy, their gas in the tank, and calculated that move, that breakaway, and never look back again? I've often said, in fact, I've said in Bull to Suck that the four horsemen of the corporate apocalypse are size, age, being a public company, and culture. And if you go back and you look at the corporates today, I mean, by virtue of Fortune 500 Global 2000, you are, you know, check. Giganticism, giganticism, um, you know, diseconomies of scale, uh, siloed, dysfunctional, political, bureaucratic, you are 0 for 1 on size. You are almost certainly uh, 0 for 2 when it comes to age. This is the classic company that says proudly operating for 100 years. You crow about how old you are. But with age comes sickness. With age comes degradation. With age comes inevitable decline. With age comes being stubborn and set in your ways. A reluctance generally to change, to unlearn, to relearn. This is the way things have always been done. Show me a company that today in 2023 has a culture as strong and tight and cohesive and consistent and even arguably stronger than in 1923. By the way, 1923, all things being equal, between two wars, recessionary, depressionary times, pretty tough time, 100 years later. Oh, and by the way, a global pandemic later too. Seems like history just does keep on being revisited or repeating itself. So when we think about age, I mean, would you rather be a 100-year-old human today in business or a 52-year-old? I think I'm in the prime of my life at 52. I think that that my best days are one billion percent ahead of me. As a as a personally, as a corporate executive, I don't know that anyone feels their best years of their life are ahead of them because of the the challenges associated with being a corporate today. But I think as an entrepreneur, as a creator, as a dreamer, as a builder, um I I think your best years are ahead of you. They have to be especially if you have 
the knowledge, the know-how, the practical ability, um, the experience, even better still, integrated experience from pre-web and web 1.0, web 2.0, web 3.0, right? Analog, digital, social, mobile, um, and now um, web 3, blockchain, crypto, NFTs, community. I mean, community itself, I could go uh, as a common thread as also analog, digital, social, you know, mobile, and, and now virtual, if you will. So we're not necessarily talking about a 20-year-old bro, white bro, we're not necessarily talking about even a 30-year-old. But would you rather be 42 right now or 102 as a human? Hell, no question. It's an interesting question, by the way. You know, I am 52, but would I rather be 32? What if I was 42? In some cases, I wouldn't mind going back a few years three or four years or five years, maybe 10 years. I don't know that I'd want to go back beyond that. And on another level, I am now this version of myself that I could only have arrived at with everything that has happened both to me and for me. But age, age doesn't seem to be, in a corporate sense, a strength, a strategic advantage, a competitive advantage, it seems to me to be a liability, not an asset. It seems to be a weakness, not a strength. And the third horseman is the horseman of being a public company. This is the kiss of death. The minute that you have to report to external shareholders, you're done. You're absolutely done. It's not your vision anymore. Why do founders leave companies? Because it's all about the bottom line, literally and figuratively. And not even that, it's all about cost cutting and efficiencies and cost efficiencies. And it's not about the very principles and practices and values and purpose and mission and vision that might very well have existed a hundred years ago. Most of the time when I talk to companies, I say, what are you trying to do to discover your purpose? All you have to do is go back into the past and rediscover your purpose. Your purpose was always there. You just forgot it. Or you got lost or confused or you rejected the purpose. Or you diluted it. But you got to go back to actually to the beginning. That's when age actually counts. That's when age makes a difference when you can actually go back and learn from the past. Think about this for a second. Learn from the past, not relive the past. Not live the past. Learn from the past, not live the past. It's a critical, critical point in difference. But the public company? I mean, where the world is heading, I believe, is community capitalism, is corporate citizenship. Is the we is greater than me? Is community? Is what the business roundtable said, which is simply that the, the sole role, the purpose, the reason for being of a corporation is to serve all stakeholders, not just external shareholders. But the public company doesn't live that. That's why the founder of Patagonia feels the need to give away the whole company. Otherwise, Hello, Titanic. Let me introduce you to Iceberg. Iceberg, Titanic, Titanic, Iceberg. Get to know one another. It's going to be explosive. Two come in, one, one leaves. The public company cannot survive and thrive in these times. Because of one and two, because of size, because of age, and because of culture. How many massive corporate companies have we seen that have strong cultures? A, across 100 plus years, but even more recently. I, I, will, I will contend and I will, con and I will say that in an ideal world, a corporate should never, ever have to lay off one single human being. 
To me, the greatest corporate culture is one that doesn't have to lay off a single human. You figure it out. Laying off people is, it's, it's a travesty. It's an absolute travesty. It's like, it's, it's like murder. It's like murder. You bring someone into this world and then you take them out. That might be a, an extreme point to make. But I don't know that it is. I mean, I said in, uh, I think I said in either Flip the Funnel or Built to Suck that every time a consumer, a customer leaves us, switches, we should have a funeral for them. We should write a eulogy. We should have an exit interview. We should wear black. We should tear our clothes. We should mourn them as opposed to mark them down as acceptable loss or shrinkage or churn or attrition. So if we're having a funeral for a customer that leaves us, when we ask an employee to leave us, we are murderers. We have blood on our hands. That's culture. Culture says all for one and one for all. Not when the going gets tough, the rats flee the sinking ship. See what I just did there? I just did all Titanic. The band plays on. I mean, now I'm really just mixing metaphors. So the concern becomes the competitive advantage. The concern becomes the coin when you realize what the concern is, is your spidey sense. The concern is your spidey sense. It's telling you, wait a second, it's your gut. Something's going on here. Something super cool is going on here. Something, something that's different. Let's pay attention. Let's lean into this. Let's realize that this is our corporate gut telling us something is not like, one of these things is not like the other. Let's explore this at a minimum. Let's give it a fair chance. This standalone entrepreneur, they're like a Martian. They're like, they're an alien. They're a foreigner. It's like, you know, do we now batten down the hatches? Isolationism, you know, what so many countries are doing now, not embracing the refugee, not embracing the immigrant, when so many of these countries owe their entire existence to immigrants. But what if we actually, instead of trying to put them in a lab and dissect them and perform experiments on them, what if we actually you know, extended our hand. We come in peace. Take us to your leader. Actually, be our leader, maybe. I really loved how during the dot-com compo- uh, phase, not even the dot-com phase, but the, the rise, the growth of digital, what you actually had was many companies, uh, I think Under Armour was one, they they acquired Map My Fitness, My Fitness Pal, or, or Map My Fitness, Map My Run, actually, it's two different companies. So they acquired Map, my run and map my fitness and then they essentially the founder became the chief digital officer it wasn't just an aqua hire i mean it might have been but it was probably an acquisition but with a talent component bears and christopher you are the talent people here it was kind of genius in some cases maybe even overpay listen google did it all the time they bought companies and apps that they had no interest or business in just because that but just because of the developers and the talent not a bad plan not a bad idea to actually embrace the outsider the foreigner the person that is different and lean into those concerns how might we make this work how might we learn from one another? What might you teach us? And what might we teach you too? Because it's a two-way street. 
because we're always learning, whether we're 52, 42, 32, 22, or 102. Going back to the age component, I might choose the 102-year-old over the 42-year-old if that 102-year-old was still learning and open. I don't know that I will ever say no to someone based on any other disqualifiers. The only disqualifier for me is the inability to learn. It is the closed-mindedness. Someone that is that that looks for the truth in everything, that sees the merit in everything before the C word. I used to say until today that my three worst words, you've heard me say this before, my concern is, now there are my three favorite words. What is your concern? Please tell me you have one. Or if not, let's create some. I want to know what your concern is, because your concern is your corporate spidey sense telling you that there's something interesting. There's a weakness that could be a strength. In fact, it is the strength. Not only are we not going to change you, not only do we not expect you to change, but maybe, just maybe, you will change us. Or even better, we will change each other. We will grow together. One plus one equals three. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. The wisdom of collaboration, not the wisdom of crowds. Oh, he has a better one. Oh, I'm on fire this morning. I'm just saying it. The wisdom of concerns. Damn it, that's a book. The wisdom of concerns. Holy crap, I need to drop the mic and, you know, Go and high-five myself, which I know is probably making me sound just a little narcissistic as Sharon arrives. The wisdom of concerns. This has been like therapy for me today. Like being able to navigate through this interesting thought process. Now you know that we have about 12 minutes left. And I would love one or two of you to come up to the stage and tell me what you thought about this today. Or, or create some builds for me. Tim says, so if on one side of the seesaw we have a client that has age, geriatric, yeah, I mean, let's call it, it's corporate ger- ger- geriatricism, obesity, absolutely, size, speed, silo, true. A lot of fat, you know, a lot of sluggishness and inertia, a public company, short-term driven, and on the other, there is a group or team that would like to change or evolve. How do we gain leverage to overcome the burdens so that the seesaw does not become a catapult throwing away the new effort? What a brilliant analogy. What a, you know, because again, you know, I mean, if, if the entrepreneur is too powerful and too loud, there are also the people that could jump on the seesaw and throw everyone, you know. Uh, so maybe it's not a seesaw, Tim. Maybe, in fact, it's more of this idea of a balancing, like scales balancing, trying to find that perfect middle ground or that compromise. Remember, my way of looking at balance and equilibrium is two ways. One, find a sweet spot. The sweet spot isn't always in the middle. The sweet spot could be 10% in on one side or 10% or 90% in or, and therefore 10% on the other. So it's more of a sweet spot as opposed to a perfect meeting in the middle balance equilibrium. The other thing is I like the idea of knowing that the equilibrium or that sweet spot or that balance is a combination sometimes of two extremes. You know, at the end of the day, if, if the halfway point between 0 and 10 is 5, you could get there a number of ways. You could get there with a 5 plus a 5, and you could get there with a zero plus a ten. So to use that, you know, in 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 net promoter terms, you've got a ten. How how likely are you to recommend ten? How likely are you to recommend zero? But if you average those two out, you end up with a five. So you've got to understand what you're looking at. But sometimes the love and the hate, the opposites attract, can be a good thing. That got a little esoteric. 
but hopefully you know what I mean. So you ask the question, how do we gain leverage to overcome the burdens so that the seesaw does not become a catapult throwing away the new effort? Well, in part, I want to ask you to, to, to answer the question, answer your own question. But if you're asking me, if you're asking me, I think it's a, I think it's a combination of anticipating um, the anticipating, you know, the 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 objections, the rejections, the concerns, or you know, excavate them, excavate the concern. You can't find it. Look harder. Dig deeper. Find the concern. Find the corporate spidey sense. Because if you can anticipate, then you can attempt to solve. You know, obviously there has to be a will or want to change. But in a way, remember, the weakness is the strength. The fear, the pain, that is the strength. The, the change happens. You've heard this one before. Change happens when the pain of not changing is greater than the pain of changing. So when you embrace the fact that there is pain either way, well, if you love pain and you're a masochist, well, you're probably also the standalone entrepreneur, the, the entre, you know, then, then, yeah, then the founder, then you love the pain. But let's assume that people don't love pain. But if you realize that there's going to, pain, there's going to be pain either way, does that debilitate you or does it liberate you? For me, it liberates me. And I realize that we're all in this together. I'm not alone. You're not alone. We are not alone. But if we do it together, maybe we can divide and conquer. Maybe we can minimize the pain. Maybe we can share the load and, and lighten the load and share the pain or support each other through the pain. So you've got to want to change and you've got to recognize that change is hard and painful. But, you know, Tim, you're also getting into this whole idea of how do we sell through to senior management. And I've learned you know, through mainly failure, um, that when a corporate executive doesn't want to buy, there's pretty much no way that you're going to get them to buy. They're just not going to buy. I, I, I still believe that I'm an awful salesperson. I think a great salesperson might be able to get them to buy, but I don't think I have that ability. I, I still don't. I never, never will believe I do. But maybe I've been going about it all wrong. Maybe when they now say to me, my concern is, I go, exactly. That's exactly why we need to do this. And here's why. Because that's your corporate spidey sense. You've correctly identified the moment of truth, the magic. Because if you didn't have a concern, well, there are a lot more problems. Why weren't you doing it before if you had no concerns about this? If it was such a no-brainer, shame on you for not doing it sooner. And if there are no concerns, if it was so easy, then everyone would be doing it, no? And your competitors would be doing it. And by the way, how many of your competitors are doing it? None? Well, what does that tell you? It could tell you it's such a bad idea that no one's doing it. Or it could tell you that the first person to figure it out or to do it might end up breaking away from the peloton and winning the race. Winner, winner, chicken dinner, because it is tough to be in business today. It is, you know, being Goliath, being obese, being a geriatric, being beholden to Wall Street, having a toxic culture, Again, I asked the question earlier, how many of these corporates? Man, I've gone through my entire life working with corporates, with working with clients, where every single one of these CMO MFers are looking to leave all the time, asking me if I know of anyone who's hiring. Almost everyone, almost at every time, they're all looking to leave because they know that their days are numbered. If you have a strong corporate culture, I mean, come on, Salesforce laid off people. Google laid off people. Amazon laid off people. They're all laying off. 
strongest, fastest growing, most powerful companies in the world. What's wrong with this picture? Tim says, what I've had some success with is to establish a Vanova Bush style. I don't even know what that is. You're going to have to tell me what that is. Uh, Vanova Bush, is that one of the Bushes? Is Vanova related to uh, George W.? I'm not sure. Um, to establish a Vanova Bush style phase separation, letting the new team or department develop new rules for working on this effort while minimizing org impact. Then as it builds wins, win, as it builds wins, the wins become a gravity well for other departments, which then demand to participate. It follows the diffusion of innovation on a micro scale. Now that is some high quality H2O uh, over there. That's, you know, that's power. That's, that's, that's money. That's money. Um, yeah, there was a lot. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to overflow this into another session. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's also this. But this is also the craziness of corporate culture. Nobody wants to stick their neck out, right? Nobody wants to, you know, stand out. Nobody wants to get their head, uh, their neck chopped off, right? And then until someone gets a win, hey Chris, someone gets a win, and then everybody wants to follow. And then everybody wants to follow. And then and then and then the floodgates open. That's you know that's almost in of itself a topic for another day. Why does it have to be? And often, by the way, that one win, it, it comes almost by accident or 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 as a fluke, or you know, there's always a story that you know the the execs wanted to kill it the board wanted to kill it the you know it was killed and someone didn't get the memo apple's 1984 commercial was rejected or about to be rejected or should never have happened the greatest ad in the history of the world was almost you know almost never happened when you look back at all the truly exceptional moments of growth of disruption of um exponential change in our business they almost always have an element where they were about to die or about to be killed or it was you know just something that almost never happened that's that's another element of the spidey sense number one the concern and number two the fact that it was touch and go it almost never happened it shouldn't have happened that's another indication that you're on the right track. That's how you get to yes. It is harder to get to yes. It is easy to get to no. Challenge yourself to get to yes. Embrace your spidey sense. Embrace your concerns. Turn the weakness. Actually, let me rephrase that. The weakness is the strength. Don't turn the weakness into a strength. It already is the strength. Just embrace it. So, it is almost 9 a.m. Um, just to mention, uh, Vannevar Bush was an American engineer, inventor, and science administrator who during World War II headed the U.S. Office of Scientific Research and Development, the OSRD, through which almost all wartime military R&D was carried out. He established phase separation, which is innovation versus core operations, detailed in the book Loon Shots. It was the model used to establish programs like Skunk Works. Amazing. Uh, maybe we should uh, talk Loon Shots after uh, we finish reading um, our, our current read, uh, which, uh, which uh, Praxim has been helping us with, uh, which has just been uh, tremendous, tremendous. Um, I can't even find, what, what's the book called again? Um, Someone tell me the book um, I saw it the other day, Turning the Ship Around. Um, and what a great conversation today also about ships uh, and icebergs uh, as well. Remember, just as a final parting uh, shot today, um, you know, going back to even uh, this idea of um, skunk works. The, the other thing that I've been tremendously influenced by and I've written about in Built to Suck is the heresy, Embrace Your Heresy, or the 12th man principle, or red teaming, another way that we actually um, get to yes, uh, or sometimes actually get to no. Um, that's, <laughs> that's very esoteric. But 
when everyone is agreeing on something, that's another way to whether it's you know skunk works is is a different aspect, but not that far from skunk works is you know the ability to be the contrarian, you know the um, you know the zig when the others zag, um, etc. Um, so thank you for those uh, uh, contributions, William. Yuri's second book was the power of a positive. No, all amazing, amazing builds. I'm going to go and do some research. Go get your POAP. It's a, it's available for another nine minutes. Bez, thank you for putting that down below. I'm going to go and try and get it myself because I always do to make sure that it's working. And uh, I think I minted 10, so I'm hoping that they're all gone by the time that I even mint my own, which shows you that we are growing. Um, I will see you tomorrow. It is good to be back. Uh, Have an amazing, amazing, amazing Tuesday. Bye, everyone. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Danielle Wiley hosts a great podcast called The Art of Sway. Danielle, tell us what you talk about on the show. The Art of Sway brings listeners inside the world of marketing as seen through the lens of influence. So each week I chat with an expert guest for a lively discussion about connecting ideas with audiences in an attempt to uncover all the ways influence impacts how and what we discover, purchase, and recommend to each other. Wow. And where can people subscribe? Go to theartofswaypodcast.com. Find the show at marketingpodcasts.net or search for The Art of Sway wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.